You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Gaming Podcast. We're bringing together the best gaming leaders from across the Nordic regions to discuss industry passion, challenges, and ideas. I'm Melanie, and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the gaming industry. So today, I'm joined by Mo, Carlos, and Ross. Uh, and just before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So Mo, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Hi guys. Uh, good uh, good morning. Good afternoon. Depends on what time you're listening <laughs> to the to the podcast. So I'm Mo. Uh, right now I'm the publisher and game developer relation manager at Challenger Mode. Uh, it's a Swedish uh, gaming and esports platform, and we we bring uh, automation to to league ops. That's basically what, what we do. Uh, I, I have 20 years in the tech business. Worked from Nokia, Samsung, Microsoft. Uh, Positivo, it's a, a Brazilian company, and by the way, I'm from Brazil, so I'm freezing here in Stockholm. And uh, I do have uh, some years uh, experience on, on the gaming business. I was uh, the Xbox category manager in Brazil, and I was uh, way back uh, the person responsible for selecting which game goes in each phone at Nokia. Nice, lovely, uh, Ross. I don't think I'm going to beat that anecdote from Mo, but. Um... Hello, uh, I'm Ross, Ross Keatley. I um, work at Liquid Sword Studios and uh, I head up social media and comms there. We are a small studio coming up to about 50, aiming to grow to 100. Founded by Christopher Sunbury, who uh, founded Avalanche Studios as well. So we're working on our first IP uh, right now. Um, I have a background in writing, but uh, prior to this, um, I was at uh, Moyang working on Minecraft and social media for around two and a half years. Lovely. Uh, Carlos? Hello, listeners. Uh, this is Carlos. I am the current senior market analyst for Rovio Entertainment. I bring a little bit of a mixed viewpoints on the actual market, competitors, and insights that can be generated from what's going on on mobile, and a little bit in other platforms as well, such as PC and console. And hopefully, we'll have a very interesting discussion today. So thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Carlos. Uh, and I also just wanted to add that uh, Felipe Ahlen, uh, who is uh, head of branding at 10 Chambers, he was supposed to join us today, but unfortunately he's not feeling very well, but he still uh, sent his question. It's a really important question. Uh, I definitely want to hear everyone's opinion on that question, so I will ask it on his behalf. Um, so now that we have established uh, context for each of you, uh, let's move on to the topic in focus. So you all have a question or a statement on the future of marketing. So as usual, I'll walk around, uh, work around the room asking each of you to pose your question uh, and the reasons behind it. And each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So let's get cracking. Uh, let's start with Mo and your question, please. Uh, yeah, guys, my, my question is, how can I, uh, a non-endemic brand uh, be successful in the gaming ecosystem? Um, the reason for the, for this question is that I really and I truly believe that uh, brands see now the, the gaming industry as a very important uh, industry. And a lot of these brands are trying to get into the industry or and talk to, to gamers, right? Uh, um, you guys saw like last uh, news update saying that we are like 3.2 million uh, gamers. It's a lot of gamers. And uh, like how these brands can truly be part of, of this industry and, and doesn't look bad for them because I see a lot of brands failing on that. So 
want to hear your, 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 your thoughts about it. Nice. Carlos, if you want to go first. Hey, first of all, Mo, um, can you explain for our audiences a little bit better what is exactly non-endemic brand? Yeah, I guess, context? of course, I guess it's, uh, it's easy for us that we talk about this <laughs> every day, right? But uh, you think about a, a non-endemic brand that is a brand that is not originally from the, the gaming industry. So uh, brands that are not uh, game developers, publishers, or or uh, PC console manufacturers, uh, things like that. So let's say uh, beverage brand would be uh, a non-endemic brand. So if I may, Mo, I do have a couple of thoughts that I can share with you um, from what I've been seeing and actually following from the market itself, including in, in Rovio um, worldwide across several types of uh, genres and subgenres of games. So you have several ways or points of entry in order to try and gain a little bit of traction. One of my favorites is tied into advertising. So you provide advertising in the background of the actual game, if we're talking about a 3D build. That enables um, you to blend those adverts with the actual contest where the game is actually happening. That is a very interesting thing to do that was introduced, if I'm not mistaken, by FIFA many years ago in the first PlayStation games. And that actually gives visibility um, but unfortunately, that type of advertising cannot be tracked normally with the current uh, limitations that we currently have. Um, other things that I can advise you as well is partnerships. So we've been seeing more and more um, games, Roblox, Minecraft, you name it, uh, Fortnite, in inviting, for example, Fortnite, people to actually sing a concert live mid-game or a character from a Marvel uh, film or, uh, I don't know, an anime from Japan to join the roster. That in itself is a way to reach out and to expand the brand into a different construct. So how do we exploit it? That would be the actual challenge. Whose partnerships, what you take and what you give during those partnerships and how you can maximize that exposure. I think that this is um, the best examples that I can offer you at this instance. But keep in mind that there's always open doors as well for partnerships for apps that are utilized worldwide, such as, I don't know, Duolingo, or dating apps, if it comes to that, depending on the type of game. But uh, you tell me, what do you think? Do you agree with me or, or not in this, this assessment? Well, I super agree with you. And uh, I would like to uh, add one thing that it's really related to partnerships. Uh, but goes through uh, community management or community creation. I think that uh, most of the, the, the brands, they, they just want to get into the market and sometimes uh, ads might be too intrusive if they, if they do or, or they don't, uh, or, or, or they, the games don't relate to, 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 to the brand itself. But when you, when, when you do like something for the community, I think you, it's more genuine. Right. So let's say, let's get, for example, uh, uh, that's that, that's something that we've we've been doing in in uh, challenger mode. It's like, for example, uh, uh, a car manufacturer brand, and they want to do, uh, they, they want to talk with uh, the gaming uh, uh, audience. So they might do like a, a tournament where they just like sponsor this tournament just for fun. 
just to have people engaging with the brand and with uh, in partnership with uh, with a game, right? Uh, that's that, that's one of the 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 the, the, the solutions. I think it's, it's it's good, you know, like just don't try to push your brand to the to the to the market, but be genuine, be be true to to the to, to the gamers. I think I can jump in here. Um, yeah, and my my hesitancy to kick off earlier was because I the, the point I thought I wanted I wanted to talk a little bit about partnership. And I thought it was better to kind of bounce it from someone else. I'm really pleased you brought it up, Carlos. And I really like what you said, Mo, about like let's not force it on players as well. And I had some some experience of partnerships. Some of them done well. Some of them done done less well. And I think what's important is. Um, the the, the non-endemic partners need to kind of have a clear understanding of, 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 of what they want from, from the gaming collaboration. Like, what's the end goal from this? Is it just, we think we should try to talk to, to this cohort, but really like, what are we, what's the message? What are we trying to, to sell to them? What, what's the end result we would like from this? Because I think when that work is done, I think then we get better outcomes and we get better, um, it lands better with the people that we're talking to. I've seen it on the opposite end when we put when stuff is put out there and it sort of doesn't resonate well with the people that you're trying to reach. So I think a lot of it is really like understanding your outcomes, what you're trying to do, and, and not trying to kind of you know force that square peg into the round hole. I think that's a really so doing your homework, doing your background, I think is really important. Um, if I may, it's Carlos, just to follow up on 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 the topic as well and just giving you some examples. Uh, Rovio has had very good success in doing uh, a couple of marketing campaigns that go beyond what is expected or direct impact into the audiences. Um, some of these, like I mentioned earlier with Roblox itself or even with uh, Geico recently that occurred in the, in the US, those always benefit to some extent. They turn a couple more eyeballs in the direction of the game or the IP itself and they show, give us another point of entry to audiences that are usually uh, not available in other means. So my point is, if you have a well-oiled machine in marketing, you can actually join the brand efforts, the marketing efforts, the development and use acquisition within the industry and push it forward. And this includes esports partnerships. This includes sponsorships, for example, um, car racing. That's one example, like Gillette did a couple of years back. Uh, Red Bull, for instance, that's amazing partnership that could happen. And to keep it a little bit more simple, even those uh, troll discussions that happen between bands and social media, that's definitely one of my favorites. Those are the best examples of, um, how do you say, viral spreads that reach basically everyone. It's all good fun. Um, so yes, I, I actually think that you need to consider this endemic exposure to all of audiences when you're considering and building an IP from the ground up. Um, that's that's pretty much it. I hope you guys agree. Yeah, um, I agree. And uh, one thing that I would like to to add is that um, let's get back to the car uh, manufacturer, for example, the brand. Maybe we are thinking about, uh, or they are thinking about something related to esports or very, let's say, hardcore gamers, right? But let's not forget that uh, the, the gaming industry is huge, right? So probably someone who plays uh, 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 Angry Birds not as hardcore as someone who plays F1 on 
uh, on PC, right? They don't have like uh, 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 the, the the driving rig to to, to play. So uh, it's important for 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 these brands to to think about what is the 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 audience that they can that they want you to reach, right? Not just the hardcore, but also the, the, the casual. And uh, then one thing that I, I would say probably for for the studios is that uh, any game can be used for for this engagement, right? It, it don't need to be uh, a super triple A game, right? Uh, um, some of the brands they could benefit a lot for partnering with a, with a casual game, which will reach much more people than than a, a, a very hardcore or triple A game that you actually uh, need that. I, I remember like uh, uh, with, with a partner, um, we, we've been discussing about, about football. I mean, FIFA or Pro Evolution or not Pro Evolution anymore, eFootball, um, super cool games. Uh, I like to play it, I love it, but still it's, it's fun to play, it's easy to start playing, but it's very hard to master it. So like people maybe don't want to spend that much time playing uh, FIFA or eFootball engage with a brand, but if you have like a very casual shooting game, ooh, that'll be cool. And then it kind of engage with more people. So it's important to to, to think about uh, uh, the gaming audience as a very broad audience and, and think who you wanna you want to to tap. Lovely. Uh, thanks for that, everyone. So uh, let's move on to Carlos's question. So Carlos, you ask your question. And then just give a bit of uh, context uh, to our to our listeners about what you're referring to. Uh, so recently, we've seen the rise of several changes happening in the games industry. Uh, one of them was ATT, so app transparency, that has been implemented by Apple. And in the future, I think in January, we'll see the same happening from Google. So this limited quite a bit in who you can, let's say, target or offer your adverts or entities to play your games across the mobile industry. At the same time, a new um, type of situation occurred with massive acquisitions of large companies. Those large companies started to purchasing advertising ad networks and partners focused on advertising and creating what we call our walled gardens, or basically keep the, the players within that ecosystem and do not let go of them. You can offer different types of games, different types of offers and products, but they always engage in the same cycle. So with this in mind, what have you guys came across of other methods that actually are being utilized to increase organic growth? I'm not saying buy players and bring them to the games because money doesn't buy everything. Okay, I'm saying how how, what types of other techniques or approaches have you utilized, such as outdoor marketing campaigns, cross-band partnerships, we just mentioned a couple earlier, uh, influencer marketing channels? What is your view on it? And what was your experience with these channels? Anyone that you recommend to our audiences and, and myself, actually? Uh, Ross, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, I spent most of my time working in, in organic as well. so. Um, during my time at Minecraft, we always, first of all, it's, it's good to preface to say that we always had the benefit of very big follower growth, very big follower bases anyway. So we were always dealing with with big numbers. That's not fair. Um, um, so growth was happening there as well. But it was interesting when we did particularly some work around collaborations as well. 
um, we did monitor quite a bit of stuff that we did with influencers, which we had not done particularly uh, very much of as a brand prior to then. Again, I think a lot of that was that we were just kind of resting on generally good organic growth though. But what I did see and what I thought was really interesting, especially in the Minecraft space where you have huge influencers, huge YouTubers who are out there just churning out content that, that, that as a studio we, we really had no pulse on. It was interesting how bringing those into, into a space where, in, an, in a campaign about, about consumer product, some of the kind of the sentiment that we were seeing and some of the kind of the response to that was really, really interesting as well. But I think that, that's my, my biggest takeaway on a, on a big scale like that, seeing it certainly working very well with, with relevant influencers, especially in an ecosystem where they have a huge influencer base already. Um. Just uh, adding to that, I think that uh, we circle back to partnerships and uh, creation of, of community and, and engaging with, uh, with community. I think that, uh, of course, it's harder and harder to get new players, right? So as soon as you, you, you get hold of this, of this community, you start engaging with them, of course, they will bring more people into the, into the, the community, right? And that's uh, the mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, it's... Uh, I guess it's it's back to to, to be important, right? Uh, now, if you if you want to have friends uh, playing with you, I remember when I when I was at Xbox, uh, it was funny because whenever I asked someone, "Oh, let's play," "Ooh, I have a PlayStation," and then that that was just like, "Why does this person have a PlayStation and 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 and, uh, and not an Xbox?" Then you start looking, okay, because his friends also has a, has a PlayStation. And then when I look at my friends, all my friends have Xbox because. Uh, we were like the Xbox community. So when, when you start building these communities, people start bringing friends and friends and friends. And that's probably one of the strongest uh, thing you can you can build uh, for, for your game, for your brand at this moment, right? Where, where it's harder and harder to, to target the, 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 the right person. And then, uh, yeah, and then going back with uh, uh, cross uh, brands partnerships, uh, uh, working with uh, other brands that are also relevant, you know, you start talking with other audience that might be uh, also not just for, for, for you. I remember um, back here in Challenge World, we, we added a, a game to the, to the platform and we, we were like, whoa, that's so cool because people who play this game also play another game because it's, uh, let's say it's like chess and TFT. Uh, 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 they look more or less the same. Right, so these kinds of connections is important for marketeers to to start thinking about, not just uh, uh, engines to 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 select uh, which which uh, audience you want. So just building on the feedback that you guys gave, just a couple more ideas that I thought of uh, into sharing with with you guys as well, is that don't limit yourselves on these types of partnerships only to games. So think a little bit more. Think about Netflix. Think about, I don't know, uh, Google. Think about larger companies. They are not impossible to reach. Just distance of an email, try to contact, and someone will reply back in trying to scope exactly what is the benefit for both companies. But it's something that you've seen happening more and more, and hopefully uh, this will be distributed regardless of platform and regardless of type of game that we're talking about. So I'm eager to see this happening in the and hopefully in the just around the corner in 2023. Yeah, we we, we should uh, or 
market, the, the gaming market should expand outside the gaming market, right? So that's that's what one one trend that I that I see a lot. It's uh, of course uh, it's easy to see big brands uh, doing it together, but yeah, like 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 I said before, a, ca a, a, a casual game can be very very useful for a, a, a non-endemic brand, and also very useful for this casual game to be partner with the, this non-endemic brand and reach uh, his audience, right? So I guess uh, that's that's what we what we need to expand, open open our 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 gates. <laughs> All right. So let's have a change of direction slightly. I will now ask uh, Felipe's question, and uh, Mo, if you want to kick us off uh, with your answer. So Felipe's question was, how do you see the future of marketing when it comes to Gen Z or Gen Z, depending on uh, your dialect? So, for example, like platforms, channels, content demands, and brand development. Um, he said that to give a bit of context to his um, question, he, he just got the sense that the topic isn't talked about enough. It's an evolving question when it comes to their needs, and he just didn't feel like it was at the forefront of everyone's minds. Um, so, Mo, if you want to uh, kick us off with your opinion on that, and then we'll move to Carlos. Sure. Um... And I think I, I can give my opinion more on a business side. Uh, what I see for, for the Gen Z is that they are, of course, we, we know that they, they, they talk a lot on, 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 on social media, right? They, they, they are the, the, the first, the first uh, generation that were born uh, in this digital uh, market. But what I see is that they are much more aware of social and politic topics, uh, which make... Uh, Talk to them very uh, complex. If you if you are not willing to uh, to position yourself as a as a brand, and they are much more aware. I guess um, as a Brazilian, I follow the World Cup, and I and, and you can see what's what's happening right now. Right, uh, uh, everybody position themselves as players, and, and so 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 as you see, I, I, I guess one example it's really like you get Neymar and, and Richardson, the Brazilian players. Neymar is a little bit older. Richard is like 23, 25. So he's Gen Z, right? And and he's and he positioned himself very, very uh, socially responsible. Um, so I, I guess that's that's one of the 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 difficulties to talk to the Gen Z, but also one of the big opportunities for a brand to position themselves and be a, a reference for, for for this generation. Carlos. Well, this this is a very loaded question. I know that uh, Felipe had had a thought about this. Um, let me share, trying to condense what what I need to to share with you guys. So, first of all, we're talking about the generation of social media. So, if you're talking about Gen Z, you're going to talk about TikTok. Forget Facebook. You need to utilize what they actually use and spend more screen time per day as possible, and trying to show them new trends being on top of those new ideas, new types of motivations that they are discussing day to day, that they share on Twitch, uh, what you see them doing in, I don't know, YouTube, the reach and the friends of the friends and the, the viral spread is absolutely explosive. You need to take that into account into any marketing effort. Now, this is focused on Gen Z. And I do need to tell you guys that we're talking about what, 20% of the gamer population out there? Those usually do not have, I'm going to be very blunt here, do not have credit cards assigned to them. So even though there's benefits 
into targeting them now for the future to be able to be your loyal players, for instance, or your loyal clients, you do need to understand that the demographics that you're focusing on might not be the correct ones for your brand. So this is very, very required to do is a good market analysis and understanding who exactly are you creating a product for and who you want to play the game that you're, the game, sorry, or the product that you want to try to um, put live in the market. But please do not forget the other side of the demographic. Elderly and senior players, they exist. I've seen a couple of influencers that are actually above the six year years old age, and they actually have massive amount of followers as well. You need to think of what am I doing, for whom I am doing, and who I would like to be playing or utilizing my service. So I know that Gen Z, the future customers, we need to get them while they're young. You know, that is a very good way to look at it in the long term. But your product might not live that far for that audience to actually be able to increase the number of sales or the viewership or the utilization of the service that you're trying to push forth. But this already gives you guys quite a bit to, to think about. So we can get over in a little bit later if you guys want to revisit this question, though. Thanks. Cool. Thank you. I think I've got sort of two a point in response to both in response to both of you, and then another point. I think what Mo said is really strong about um, social awareness in Gen Z. And then I think building on what you said, I understand what you're saying, Carlos, about they may not necessarily be the ones with the credit cards. They may not be the ones who are necessarily the target for your for your 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 target audience or the target for your product. But I would say we do need to think carefully because Gen Z would be the ones who shout the loudest if we do things that they don't like or they perceive as wrong or they perceive as, you know, not, not aligning with the ways they think as well. So I, I was going to say something else, so do come back to me about that in a minute. Um, I think what's really interesting with Gen Z is they kind of throw out a lot of the traditional ways we think about marketing. They kind of throw a lot of it out the window because really um, a lot of the traditional ways of kind of, you know, a lot of the pizzazz and stuff doesn't necessarily work on them. It's a lot harder to pull the world over their eyes as well. They tend to be a lot more cynical and kind of see through a lot of that stuff as well. Um, and then two more things. What what I believe is resonates better with them as well, they come from the content creation generation as well. So there is almost like a love of things being at a grassroots level as well and seeing things come up that way and things being a little bit, you know, a little bit rough around the edges, sometimes that can resonate better with them as well. I think also just to build a little bit more on what Mo said as well, I think Gen Z will also be more interested in brand loyalty and building a loyalty with a brand as well and how we talk to them and how they talk back to us rather than us just as marketers or, you know, social media people just talking at them as well. I think there needs to be a, a, a two-way dialogue as well. Also. Just one final comment. I, I I don't know how I forgot this. DEI. So we need to take into consideration as well diversity and inclusion. This is something that some studios, some publishers are actually starting to realize. The best example that uh, I can give you recently is Electronic Arts with a Mass Effect. I think that they were one of the larger publishers that actually had an audience and pushed those topics of diversity, inclusion, sexuality, um, 
that can go over all types of generations as well. So absolutely, Ross, I agree 100% with you. I think that companies need to align more what the audiences are trying to tell us, and we need to adapt to those needs as much as possible because they are our future clients. They absolutely agree with you in your take. And uh, yeah, just adding to what Carlos said about uh, inclusion, diversity, and all, all, all these topics are, are super important for Gen Z. Like, there's a saying in Brazil that uh, football, religion, and politics we do not discuss. That was a, like a, a say that back in Brazil, like my father, my grandfather, they, they should say, well, you know what, for Gen Z, you have to, you, you have to discuss. That's that's part of, of, of what they want you to, to understand about your brand, about your, your, your game or about the service that, that, that you want to offer. So yeah, uh, you, you better be able to communicate this, uh, especially use memes because they that, that's how they communicate. <laughs> I just wanted to come back to what Ross said, because you said about like how Gen Z, they shout the loudest. And then you sort of said that, oh, like, I'll come back to that. I just wondered if you wanted to expand on that, because I thought that was a really interesting take on it. No, it was more um, in response to what I, I was just sort of pushing back against what Carlos said about they may not necessarily be the people we're aiming at. But I think we should always kind of have them in mind, because if we do campaigns, if we work with influencers, if we have unsustainable methods that, that are questionable, they will quickly be the ones who are who are jumping on social media, who are shouting the loudest, who are digging into people's backlog of tweets as well. So I think we need to, I think it's a good thing because it forces us and it forces the companies we work with to think more about things as well. But we need to have, the, we need to understand that this kind of attitude to looking at things and this type of, I don't know if cynicism is the right word, but this level of critique I think is here to stay as well. And it pushes harder on us, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. And I think just my point is that, that, that Gen, Gen Z will generally be the first ones to do that and to call us out on things. Can I throw like a, a curveball question here just to sort of piggyback on what Ross has said? If Gen Z shout the loudest and they will tell you what they think, does that make it from a marketing perspective easier or more challenging? <laughs> Your silence. Everyone's so shocked by that question. <laughs> Go on, Ross. I think both. I think, one, it's great when people tell us what they think and they tell us clearly what they think we've done wrong, which is what Gen Z do well. I think on the same side, it's, this isn't much of an answer, I'm just going to sit on the fence. Uh, it's the kind of challenge because, one, we need to look at everything in a lot more detail and think about it more, but that's not necessarily a bad thing either. But it does sometimes mean that we things happen that we can't always foresee. Sometimes we have to be reactive. Some, sometimes, you know, things can catch us off guard. So I think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a double-edged issue, I would say. Carlos? Well, I agree with Ross. And I would say that depends as well on the marketing team that you have working with you. <laughs> can they actually shift the tone or the focus of the message? Can you actually utilize something that appears to be negative into a positive and an actual force in driving change? Um, it, it depends on a lot of factors, but I do agree. I think that we all benefit when people share their thoughts and what's bothering them, regardless of uh, a type of um, position they have or topic of discussion. That's what democracies are about. I do have one caveat here, and I'm going to pull a little bit to the market analysis field. Now, we're talking about a very 
small group comparison to with the pool of available audiences out there. And this takes me back a little bit of the Twitter effect. A couple of people shout many times during a large period of time, they will look like a larger audience than they actually are. I'm not taking the the truth from Ross's comment, not at all, but we in the games industry are privileged because we are able to measure the impact of those voices within our own communities. And we understand that, I don't know, 40% of our players are actually in favor or against. We proceed with the surveys. We try to engage what is the best options that are available in the games. Something like, uh, I don't know, something simple like gacha or loot boxes, a topic of discussion that happens in games quite often. A lot of people say, no, this is bad, but there are audiences that say, yes, we want more. So it's our job to make sure that we leverage all of these voices and actually create what is best to the larger audience. That's actually how things happen within the games industry. So please keep that in mind as well. We need to understand exactly if the voices that you're hearing are representative or not, what is the message, and if we can or not help them get even a louder platform to shout even uh, louder to reach other people, or if something that it has no sense is just trolls in the internet or a community that's being um, difficult because people have fun this way as well. On the last topic, Ross, I would like just to comment another thing um, is that Gen Z has an extraordinary ability to gather in multitudes of groups of people come forth and making their voices and gather support. They're absolutely masters on this. So another reason why we need to incorporate their thoughts, where they're coming from, the theme and their um, why they're uh, complaining, why they're supporting and understand, is this something that we need to change for them as well from now and into the future? So I'm, I'm not now actually speaking a little bit against what I said earlier. They are future clients. I am aware of this, but I'm trying to say there's an equilibrium for everything. So we do need to look into this and make sure that that's part of our marketability. Thanks. Just would like to say at this point, hello to our Gen Z listeners. Uh, a lot of love and respect to you. Don't always complain. We're, we're here for you. Just, I just wanted to put that out there, that we're not just like uh, hating on Gen Z. We've got a lot of time for them. All right, so uh, last, by no means least, uh, Ross, take it away. Thank you. So my question was, how can we better align our marketing activities with our brand strategies when it can appear as though the two have competing goals and are sometimes or often at odds with each other. And really where this comes from is, yes, I, I work in marketing. I never say that I work in marketing and I never think of myself as a marketer. I always think of myself first and foremost as a kind of brand worker and, uh, and as someone who's working on behalf of, of a brand. And that's where I, I kind of start my thinking. And I've been in, in fairly marketing heavy uh, roles before as well, marketing heavy organizations. And I think sometimes what, what I have found is that our marketing activities can get very, very lost in potentially what our audience wants. And I think also we have a, a tendency to, to push ahead with things and not necessarily kind of, kind of listen to what we're hearing in front of us or listen when, when things may not be landing well or, or going right. So I'd like to hear others, others' thoughts on this, how, how you've worked with this 
how we can improve on this um, and really I, and a bit of a discussion around kind of brand versus marketing or you know, where do they hold hands where they don't thank you uh, Mo you want to start us off yeah uh, well I might start now and then come back later for uh, more thoughts but uh, I think that uh, I guess the, the, the starting points, it's uh, what are the, the, the KPIs or, or the targets, the, the, what, do you, what are the goals that the company wants uh, in the end, right? So I, as a business person, I, I always think about uh, uh, if, if this uh, activity doesn't, doesn't uh, make or doesn't move the needle, Toward the, the KPIs, it should not be focused on, uh, and 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 I understand that sometimes you have to to do do, do things for uh, for the sake of the brand itself to to, to make the brand uh, thrive, right? So it, it is a, a super hard uh, thing to to think about, but I guess it comes with balance probably. Like you you have to uh, keep in keep in mind and, and keep. Targeting the targets, keep focusing on, on, on the targets, but uh, uh, include some of the activities uh, that you think is, is important for the brand. So yeah, it's it's, it's about the balance, I think. Carlos, I'm going to give an example that happened very recently for King, for instance. King did a large uh, drone show in New York City. Amazing show that changed the way that marketing is done outdoors for now and into the future to the point that laws were changed to enable that to happen so does that fit the brand or does that fit marketing so what i'm trying to tell you is you need to find the overlap because they're interchangeable the efforts that you place on a brand and an ip need to push forward your own product but need to leave a door open or a window open for you to develop a new IP derived from the same company to funnel through. You need to keep striving to do more and more products instead of just sitting down and having one single massive gigantic product that is doing all the money. So to my point is if you have only games or if you have one single product, focus on it first and then trying to find other venues that are of interest to your audiences. If you're a brand such as my current company, Rovio, that we have movies, TV series, plushies, partnerships happening worldwide, you need to take into account that they're providing visibility to what the company is, the products that they have, and the audiences that are available. And this opens more doors. It's like a snowball. So. Picking up on what um, Moss said is you definitely need to find the balancing between both. And if they are at odds, you need to understand, are they really at odds or just different perspectives or conflict of interest here? I think there's always a way for you to make it work, to be completely honest. One way or the other, we always have an opportunity to do that. But I would love to hear what you have to say on this, Ross. I think my thoughts as well. and. These are really great points you've made. Is whenever I've talked to people or I've sat in job interviews, I've said that what I really enjoy in my work trying to do is find that kind of sweet spot where branding, where brand meets marketing and everything works amazingly. Um, and that's what I've 
that's what I try to do. That's what I think is really interesting to do as well, because I am I am a marketer, whether or not how I choose to identify as one or not as well. But I think as well, it's about us being realistic as well. We don't have, you know, one single customer buying or one single person who um, accesses our product in the same way. So, you know, it's about understanding that there are a number of people there who want to hear about, um, you know, buying plush toys from us. That is something people want to hear about. There are a lot of people who don't want to hear about that as well. There are people who want to hear about the next, only want to hear about the next feature in the next update. There are people who don't care about that as well. So I think really it's about it's about understanding that, that these things are sometimes going to be in conflict as well. But like Mo was saying, it's about building, building the right balance and having the right people in place to understand those voices, understand those communities. And how do we how do we balance that approach? How do we balance our um, our content? And more importantly, how do we make sure that we that we measure it properly, understand that data properly, so then we can look back and and you know this this approach did not work so well. This approach did work well, and being able to adapt um, as we learn and understand our audiences more and more. Awesome, lovely. So um, before we end the podcast, um, I just like to say thank you so much uh, to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts in today's conversation. I think it's been epic to have people from sort of different parts of marketing branding social media and business i think it's really added to the conversation so thank you so much for for coming on uh, and you know your answers and questions have been fantastic so once again uh, our guests on today's podcast have been mo amorosino uh at challenger mode was keepy at liquid swords uh, carla salvador at rovio so thank you very much guys um if you are hiring for new gaming roles or looking for a new role within the gaming industry feel free to get in touch with us here at evolution equally if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast you can drop me a message too uh, i am melanie and you can find me on linkedin or email me at melanie.lindsay at evolution-nordics.com or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash SE. Thanks again to all of our guests and thank you so much for listening. We hope you can join us next time.